two different perspectives on Lamar Jackson's story. Scott Pioli on the front office perspective and George Atala from the NFLPA. What is going on? Is that nasty word among owners? Uh, a little open on Durant now playing for the Suns, home debut last night, and why I'm picking him to win the West, and life advice. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at lq.com. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. It's not NBA Tales from the Couch. We already gave you that. On Tuesday, we have a lot of NFL stuff we're doing. Pioli, as we already mentioned, and Atala in the intro here. But I just wanted to talk about Durant's return to Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix gets a win last night against Minnesota, 107-100. This was a game. It really was a game there for the most part. Uh, he was not great, which spit in the face of my Durant looks like first-team All-NBA every time he comes back from an injury. Uh, his cardio looked fine. He played 29 minutes. He had 16 points. He was 5 of 18. And I'm going to go over a couple of the last few things they did in, in this game. Uh, whatever. I mean, Durant, I'm not worried about him now all of a sudden not being a good shooter. He couldn't make any shots last night. Uh, I'm sure it was maybe jitters and the home debut or whatever. But the whole thing has been really weird, which speaks to the West. So we'll kind of get to that as well here. Carl uh, Anthony Towns has been back. Man, he looks huge. He looks huge. If I were a hacky sports writer, would I say Carl Anthony Pounds? No, I wouldn't do that. Uh, but he's getting 20 a game, and he's making all of his threes. He's 50% from threes in the first three games back, man. Um, 17 shots a game. He's at 31 minutes a game. So Towns is just back there in it, running, getting in shape out there. But you can kind of see the formation of the Timberwolves, who I spent a lot of time on Tuesday, of Towns, Gobert, Edwards, who was sick last night, and a couple other guys were sick as well. Conley, Noel, McLaughlin, McDaniels. I think you're like, all right. I kind of see it. It's not my favorite thing of all time, but you, you, it's so weird that we're like two weeks to go and there's all of these teams with the rotations being like, do, does this group finally have all of their guys together? And then what's it going to look like? And we're going to be picking playoff series. And I feel like not only does it feel closer in the West, like it's just, there's not going to be a lot to go on. Like, oh, they split the series or they, they won the season series 3-1. Be like, look at who played and who didn't. It may not mean anything with some of these playoff matchups. So at the end of the game, uh, Durant comes back in at 321. It's going to be Aiton. It's going to be Durant. It's going to be Booker. It's going to be Chris Paul. I know weeks and weeks ago when the trade was actually made, I was like, you know, the, the curious thing will be kind of who they use with the fifth guy, but it's going to be a Kogi. Uh, I, don't, I don't really think they would do something else unless they just felt great about Terrence Ross's shooting in a matchup and that they weren't giving up too much defensively with him. I mean, TJ Warren, we know can score. He's been better recently, but at the same time, like, you know, TJ's 
if he's out there as the fifth option, which is what he would be offensively, is it worth it have him out there? And that's why I think a Kogi's defense makes the most sense. Because if you're looking at what Minnesota wanted to do defensively, like Durant wasn't really much of an option to close this game. And uh, Booker only had like one shot. And then there was a miss a little bit later. So I think he only had three total shots in the fourth quarter. So if you were looking for like the Booker takeover, it didn't happen. It was the Chris Paul Aiton deal again. Now, Chris Paul, when he sees Gobert dropping, then Chris Paul's more locked in. And I'm telling you, the thing that's been most frustrating about Chris Paul not looking good certain nights has been, wait, you're going to be hesitant about your offense? He's always been somebody that wants to defer. But when he goes into his mid-range pull-up knowing he's doing it off of the screen versus somebody dropping in a center, as a center, specifically last night with Gobert, when he goes into that knowing what he wants to do, he's just a much better shooter. There's been too many times recently where it's like, did you not know what you wanted to do? And the last three minutes of this game last night, he knew exactly what he wanted to do every single time. He was orchestrating all of it, and he was figuring things out. And it's why I thought it was really interesting. There was a screen that a Kogi sent for Paul and then they got it back to a Kogi who took a mid-range, you know, two, which is what they all are. Uh, and he missed it. And you're like, okay, wait. <laughs> you have Booker out there, you have eight, and you have Durant. And Kogi set in the screen. And then he becomes the option is to stay with Chris Paul. You're like, we will not see that again. And guess what? We didn't. <laughs> we didn't see it. But it was a lot of eight and stuff, which is, you know, going to be good sometimes. Touch is incredible, moves really well, and then other times he's going to fumble the basketball, and then they're going to go the other way, and then Kyle Anderson got tied up, lost the ball. Then they went back the other way. Chris Paul missed the layup because he had Anthony Edwards tracking him down. So that's kind of how they closed it by Chris Paul orchestrating things, but Durant wasn't making shots. Booker didn't even take a ton of them. Aiton's fumbling things away, and this was actually a, a good basketball game, and it was competitive, um, but it was kind of a nice little sign there from Phoenix. The rest of the way, if you wake up today, Phoenix is your four seed. They have six games to go. How about this stretch? Denver at OKC, San Antonio, Denver again at the Lakers, and then uh, against the Clippers. This is going around on social media right now. I have to double check it, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to share it right now. Uh, Apparently, the largest free throw differential in the season right now is the Lakers at 411 more free throw attempts than their opponents. Number two on that list, the Sacramento Kings. Kings are always getting calls. Uh, They're plus 193. Yes, you heard that right. The gap between the Lakers and the Kings. So, Rudy, can you actually double-check this just to make sure I'm not sharing false information? We don't like that. Uh, It shows a differential of, that would be 221, no, 219. 219 more free throws. But they didn't get that call after LeBron traveled in Boston. Um, So, that's a tough stretch. But it's actually only the ninth toughest remaining strength of schedule, which is kind of shocking. New Orleans is number one. Look at what Philly has to do. Milwaukee, Boston, the Nets, Miami, Atlanta, Toronto, all playoff teams. Uh, But I know I should wait. I know I should wait longer. I know I should wait on all these teams, all these teams in the West. But I'm just picking the Suns to win the West. I don't care. I know I shouldn't do it. I'm doing it, though, and so is FanDuel. They're plus 240. Denver's plus 280, Golden State's plus 480, Memphis is plus 600. The Clippers, who were the five seed, nice win in Memphis last night. Westbrook went off. I don't know if he ended up missing any threes. Uh, And then the Lakers. So those are your top six. Who's missing from that? Sacramento, plus 2,000. Then Dallas, then Minnesota, New Orleans, on and on and on. 
Portland, you could still get odds on. That would seem like maybe not the best move uh, to win the Western Conference. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to go ahead and pick it. And then as I was saying that, I was like, well, everybody's going to think you're just doing this because of Chris Paul. I was like, no, I just think I'm going to do it because I'm not sure about any of those other teams. If there was some other team for six months that had every guy playing 70-plus games and they were really good and won almost 60 games and they didn't have any massive flaw, um, I would go ahead and maybe pick that team. But I don't think that team necessarily exists despite Denver kind of going not wire to wire, but feeling wire to wire the last, what, three months of the season here. But Durant did a sit down with Sham Sharania on The Athletic. It came out this morning and there's a bunch of different topics that were covered. And the reason I'm even bringing this up because I was thinking about Durant was like, I guess I am still rooting for Durant, right? I root for Durant. Um, I like him. I think he's more real than a lot of dudes. Doesn't mean there aren't things that he said or have done where I'm like, what are you doing? Uh, but when I thought about the pick for Durant to come out, and if you were in the NBA finals, like how many people would be rooting for him? Now, in general, how many people root for Durant? It's it's all based on like, is he in your team's way, right? So there's a lot of you listening to this, be like, I'm not rooting for that guy, right? And that makes sense. You're going to root for some other guy on another team, maybe going to screw with your team's plans and your own happiness. Uh, very standard stuff there. But if you were neutral about this or your team were out of it, would people be looking at Durant being like, hey, I'd like to see him get a ring that's like a post-Golden State ring? And would that feel like it solidifies him a little bit more? Uh, because he's been asked about you know, his thoughts on things. And one quote here about the Warriors I thought was interesting. Here's Durant. Once I left to go to the Warriors in 16, I figured any logical thing when it comes to me is out of the window. When it comes to me, people are not going to think in a logical way or simply look at what I've done and say, that's it. They got to add a narrative to it. They got to push something to discredit me. Once I left to go to the Warriors, it's been gymnastics on how to discredit me every step of the way. It's like, damn, that's not even fun no more, like engaging with people because y'all are aren't even being truthful. You move the goalpost every time. You expect the most out of me. And if I don't reach it, I'm a failure. It's like, what's the problem? Um, some of that I get and some of it I, I just don't. And it's it's really simple. Like you're going to have to pay some sort of public tax when you went to the Warriors. And in the moment, I was always okay with it because I understood that he really didn't want to play with Westbrook anymore, which is what I would think any great player would be like, I don't want to do this. Um, I was more okay with it then were retroactively like, I kind of get it from everybody. I mean, imagine if Jokic, Giannis, and say Luca all decided to have their contracts expire in the same year, two years from now, and then they all just played together. If that happened, it'd be really interesting. I would watch it. We would talk about it a lot. And if they won a couple rings, we would look at them differently than Giannis's ring by himself or Jokic getting a ring right now or Luca figuring out how to get a ring in Dallas. I mean, it's just what it is, man. That's what it is. This isn't that complicated. It's not about no uh, goalposts or narratives or all this stuff. Like some of the shit Durant deals with is bullshit and isn't fair and is dismissive. But we all kind of lean towards when I was talking about Lillard not that long ago, like we, we put you in the tiers and then we rank you inside of the tiers because it's like, what do you want to hear me do box score plus minus for an hour? Nobody wants to fucking listen to that. So that's the part where I think it's hard for him to hear it, and he's out there looking like the best player in the world, winning a couple championships, probably should have had one more with the whole deal. But then when we stack those up against other people, like that's just the tax that he has to pay with that decision. And I, look, I fucking defended him. And I, I sometimes wonder if I was wrong about that. So look, man, it's pretty simple. Um, I'll be rooting for him. 
even though I disagree with them at times. And I also think it's the right basketball pick if they're healthy. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it'd been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time. Said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand. It's all in front of me, all done. I didn't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. I'm excited about this. We have Scott Pioli, decades in the NFL and now an NFL network analyst. And he's going to be part of the draft coverage coming up late April, April 27th to the 29th. Uh, thanks for doing this. How's it going? No, it's going great. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Really appreciate it. This is fun. This is our first time getting to do this, man. I know. It is. I, you know, I know there's some ties there, the Nantucket stuff, Central Connecticut. We always have a lot of respect for those guys uh, on this podcast because we, we know the history and after spending a bunch of years in Hartford myself. Um, but obviously, I want to I touch on your expertise as running a team, making those personnel decisions, all that stuff, little draft as well. But obviously, the headline part of this is Lamar. Um, yeah. can, I, can I ask it two different ways? Can I start this way? If you're another team and you mm-hmm. need a quarterback, how do you think you and the organization would be talking about, like, what were the conversations around being his potential availability? Uh, first of all, if you're another team and you have a needed quarterback and there's a quarterback available, you can't make assumptions of what the price is going to be, what the cost is going to be. You need to do your work and go find out. So if you're, you know, and I've been, been with the team and, and been a part of needing quarterbacks and you have an obligation to everybody in the building, everyone outside the building, anyone that's associated with your with your club to go and do the work. And you need to do the work. So, you know, the fact that he's out there and available, you you go find out what the cost is going to be, what the price is going to be. You, you know, it's there's you know, you have to see what the return on the investment is going to be too. Not just the contract part, but the compensation that you have to give up because he is a tagged player. So to me, it's simple. If you need and it's available, go find out what you can find out. Do you think teams kind of historically like hate dealing with the tag compensation as opposed to like the straight trade? I mean, it doesn't happen all that often. And usually it also means the team that's tagged can be like, we can just go ahead and match this anyway. So I, it, it feels like there's a little hesitation because it's not just a straightforward market for market deal. No, you're right, Ryan. Because here's it, you know, even though a lot of people don't go after tagged players you know it's different but it's similar in terms of going after restricted free agents and when i was with the patriots and actually with the chiefs you know during my career there's a number of times that we went after restricted free agents and again you have to think about the compensation the compensation is what the compensation is but then you have to get into the negotiation you have to negotiate a contract knowing all full that 
the other team that has his has the tag or has his rights in the case of restricted free agency that you could do all the negotiating and they can turn around and match it if they want. And then you end up having had done all the work and created a contract um, that someone else does and you end up without the player. And we had it work out both ways. We had in the case of Wes Welker where we did all the work and then we were able to, you know, to 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 get it done. And then we had you know, we've had other plays that we were able to get, and then we had to go the other way. But I only bring that up because, yeah, it creates a lot of extra work. But like anything in life, in any industry, I mean, your your job, my every job, if you're afraid of work, then you need to be doing something else, right? There's that do the work, and then you you hope good things happen. Is there a lot of winners curse in the NFL where you're like, well, wait. <laughs> If this guy is what we think he is, why is he even in this situation in the first place? Like, why didn't he just get the deal done, extend him, make him part of the franchise? And I'm not even talking specifically to Lamar, but you could apply the same principles to it where you have to question yourself in those conversations being like, why is he available if our evaluation is so much higher than maybe the team's? Yeah, I think you do that sometimes. You always have to stop and pause but you, you don't always know the other dynamics, right? You don't know why it's not working out. You know, I'm not saying this is a case, but it could be the case could be that the player's just not happy there and wants a change, whether it's, you know, something about the culture, something about the coach, something about teammates where they just want to be doing something else. You know, it's different again, but similar, Ryan, to when you, you're going through the draft. You know, you know, the, the, the funniest example, I guess, is Tom Brady going back. We started talking about Brady in the fourth round and we're like, get to the fifth round. We're looking around. This guy's sitting up there still and we don't have a need at the position. And we're like, OK, what's wrong with this guy? And I mean, that that's the obvious example. Then by the time you get to the sixth round, you're like, OK, what is wrong with this guy? I'll never forget during that conversation, Bucko Kilroy, one of the you know, one of my mentors and, and a great NFL general manager. As we were getting ready to do it, Bucko had this funny sense of humor, and he just started chuckling. Oh, 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 someone better call him first to make sure he's not dead. And <laughs> and you know, I, I tell that story, but there's you know, there's a lot of times where you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, and sometimes you think that a player is more valuable in your system and is a better fit in your system than another team does it. But then sometimes you've got players. Right? I know I've been in the situation too where we've had a player that we had a certain value on and there were other teams that saw that player as to them as much greater value and they went and and did it. So yeah, it's an exercise that you have to go through, but that's a, that's I'm a big process person Ryan, so I love processes like that that make you slam on the brakes and maybe do extra homework and think. It's the only time in my life I've ever actually liked extra homework. Can we, because I can't get enough Brady stories, all right? You know, I was I was a huge Pats fan back in the day. It really? was incredible. Oh, well, yeah. Like being from, Mar right. being yeah. from the Vineyard, yeah, yeah. That's and so, you know, it plays out and you're like, wait, is this is this really happening? And then all the draft stories have been told. What is it like in the room when <laughs> you're watching guys go off the board and you're like, ah, we'll go with Jeff Marriott guard out of, <laughs> out of Missouri. And then the sixth round. <laughs> You're like, hey, you know what? Big we'll, time uh, boilermaker at Purdue, baby. <laughs> so do you remember one specific time when if you're telling us that Brady's name starts popping up to the fourth, being like, why is he still here? And then you're taking other guys that nobody will remember except their relatives. 
give give <laughs> is there one time where you were like, nah, we'll we'll take this guy instead? Yeah, I uh it's funny you say that because Ryan, I, I keep this, I gotta reach over. I know we're we're this is a podcast, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put this up here for you. I keep this on my desk all the time. That's a rookie card, a Brady rookie card. You see the guy in the upper part? That's Dave Stachelski, tight end from Boise State that we drafted ahead of Tommy. And that's Tommy down in the lower part. And I've always kept that because, you know, when we started having success, you know, it's human nature to think that you're smarter than you are or to think that you're better than you are. And really, none of us were that smart in that draft room. I mean, you know, it, it's all relative. It's sometimes there's good fortune. But, you know, to go to, to, to answer that question, um, he, here's what's interesting. You know, when we took that team over, we were – we had a roster with only 41 players, 53-man roster. We had only 41 players either under contract or had the rights to. We were $10.5 million over the cap. And I don't know, remember what the cap number was, but it was still double digits back then. And we were $10.5 million over the cap. And we had to do some of the bad restructuring, you know, borrow towards the future. And a couple of guys on Drew and I think Lawyer and Ty maybe who had just done recent contracts just to get under the cap. By the time we did all that shuffling around, we were sitting here with 39 players under contract and just under the cap. So now we not only have to build a 53-man roster, we have to have a training camp roster. And I can't remember if it was 80 or 85 at the time. And there's just no cap room. But the other thing was with 39 players, Ryan, we could not even, we couldn't line up the next day. You know, we what we did have is we had three quarterbacks. We had Drew. We had John Freeze and we had Michael Bishop. So in order for us to just field a team and play a game, we had to do more based on need than best player, if that makes sense. And a lot of people say, oh, is it best player? Is it need? To me, there's always some sort of confluence of the two. And in that situation, again, we started talking about Brady. Brady's name came up because he was amongst this group of players that we saw as viable for us, guys that we wanted. and. We kept saying, well, you know, we don't need a quarterback, so, but we need this tight end, right? Or we need a, I think it was Antoine Harris was drafted before him too. You know, and here's a guy who we thought was going to come in, be a really good special teams player, be able to play the nickel corner, play the slot, be inside, really, really smart guy, had played both corner and safety. We saw him as a good, versatile guy. We needed that guy just from a body, you know, a, a number and, and, and body's standpoint. Jeff Marriott fit the, the, the mold of the kind of guy that we wanted to, to have and build around who was big, strong, tough, smart. And so we kept on, you know, in those, we would talk about Brady, but it wasn't just Brady. We talked about this group of guys. And then that group kept getting smaller because we would either take one or other teams would pick them. And as it went on and on, we're saying to ourselves, okay, you know, do, do we feel like we did enough work on Brady? And Dick Rabine, who was our quarterback's coach at the time, had gone out, worked him out, seen him. I had seen him play against Syracuse. It was the year before. Um, he was a guy we felt good about. And those are the conversations that go on. And, and it, again, you have to, if you're doing it, eventually you hope that you're in a situation where you can say, damn, the torpedoes, we're just taking best player available. That's it. But when you're a team in need, you got to take care of needs too. I hope that makes sense. You know what? At one point, I wasn't sure if it was going to, 
But now it makes all the sense because like it, now I get it. It was a roster thing of like, we just going to start like, how many guards do we have? We don't have enough. All right, let's take a guard. We don't need, we, there's another safety. Let's make sure we get another tight end. And so we granted, have 22 it, it, starters, Ryan. right? It also means you weren't in love with Brady, but then you're like, okay, we, we have to do this at this point, but it, it actually makes, it's a great answer with a lot of depth. And now it's another part of the story that I didn't know. Uh, but, but here's the, here's the interesting part. Once we got that dude on campus, we were looking around saying, holy smoke. You know, we were like, okay, we might have something here. So, Ryan, we went into that 2000 season. We kept four quarterbacks yeah, I remember. on our 53-man roster. You know, there's this whole argument about how many, you know, how people you want to – but we kept all four of those quarterbacks. And there was even a point in time where because of salary cap issues and because we were just trying to – we were only going to keep on our roster guys that were buying in. And there's a point in time we actually only had 51 out of 53 players on our active roster. True story. We didn't have a full practice squad either, but we kept four quarterbacks. So we knew we had something that we thought we could develop. Okay, this is a perfect because I, I do have another Lamar thing I'll get to later because I want yeah. like the current team, you know, not how you would handle. But this is good because. I'll have GMs on and I've talked about this a bit in the past and, you know, I'm more of a basketball person, obviously, but like I was always fascinated with the idea of like, what did you see that the rest of us couldn't see? Like if you do this for a living and then I think I, after doing this 20 years, it's like, I think it's just the hours and either you kind of start to figure it out or you never figure it out. Right. And for football, <laughs> you know, we go back to the old linebackers and you're like, we want those guys. And now the game has kind of moved away from them where you don't want these huge middle linebackers. Right, you don't want you know, Ted Johnson and Pepper Johnson anymore. Right. 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 And when I think of Ted, I, you know, I think about the neck brace and I think, of, you know, I, yeah. mean, I think of all of this stuff and it's like, I don't know, man, like somebody's going to get him against a slot receiver and it, and it just, it's not, you're, I mean, whenever anybody talks about well. like, right, like we used to be obsessed on talk radio in Boston. Are they running a three, four? Are they running a four, three? Like who cares? <laughs> like it doesn't matter. Base is not it, like it doesn't, none of that matters because everybody's throwing. So now when you see the game change and maybe your own experiences of, of being a person in the room, how has your evaluating process evolved? Not specific to oh. like just football, but like things you think you prioritize now that you didn't earlier on in your career. Man, we need to have a class here, Ryan. This is great. I love this. This is this kind of stuff that gets me excited because here's talking about the evaluation process. Here's what hasn't changed. You know, when when we built our scouting manual, you have these separations of how you're evaluating players. You have what you call major factors, critical factors, and position skills. Just think of three silos. Then within each of them, you have things that you evaluate that are going to be important, but they have a different level of uh, prioritization, for lack of a better term. But within major factors, those are things that are the the they are uncom you you can't compromise them and you want to make sure it's size it's speed it's a athletic ability it's makeup it's intelligent it's a intelligence it's a small list of things that you evaluate on every single player regardless of what their position is because that is the stuff that this is the kind of team the identity that you want in your team then you get into critical factors and again the other two silos remaining are critical factors and position skills. Those things become more positional specific for each individual pick, uh, position. So the critical factors, again, are the most prioritized skills that a player needs at their position. So 
Major factors, critical factors, position skills. The things that never change over time to answer the question, I just wanted to give, give you yeah, an idea yeah. that don't change are your critical factors. Those are the things that you can't compromise on, or if you compromise on, you better have a darn good reason why you're going to compromise on the size of a player. There better be something special about them. When you get into the critical factors, you know, then you're talking about different things for, for say, it's offensive line. Critical factors are going to be, you know, flexibility, hand use, toughness, things like that. Well, actually, toughness would be a critical factor because we always, we always talk about we were going to be big, strong, fast, tough, and smart. So there's certain things that you can't compromise on, but as the game has evolved, you do have to react and respond. And Bill's a perfect example. You know, when we got there in 2000, it was all two gap up front. The game started to evolve. There were more multiple receiver sets. There was more, again, position flexibility that was going to be required by the defensive lineman up front. The game was being, the, the space of the game was increasing, increasing. And when you had Ted Washington on the field and Peyton Manning was going to go to hurry up offense, and you have to build your roster into what your philosophy is and how the game is being played. Again, I hope I didn't speak too fast and try to throw too much in there, but there's certain core tenets that, or tenets, excuse me, that you need to keep, Ryan. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because it's almost like you're providing yourself with your own rules and then you have to question yes. yourself when you're breaking them. Where, exactly right. And right. then you have a conversation because that's why I, I you hear people use the word process and kind of joke about it. No, you have a process, you have principles, you have values. And does that mean that you're never going to deviate? No, that doesn't mean you're never going to deviate. But when you do, have a reason. Because when you go back, you have to self-evaluate everything. And when you make mistakes, you go back and say, hmm, we made a mistake on this guy. What's the reason? Well, did he fit these criteria? Did he fit these criteria? Did he not fit these criteria? And I got to tell you, most of the time when we failed in high rounds on players um, throughout my career, because not only in New England and, and also um, in Kansas City and even in, in my time in Atlanta as the assistant GM, it was when we took tools over makeup. And what I mean by that, tools are physical skills, heights, you know, height, weight, speed, quickness, all the physical stuff. And we would get seduced by the tools and not pay enough attention to the makeup of the individual and whether or not they were going to fit into our culture. And again, we're not going to mention any names, but Ryan, I know you, you know, you talk, you think about the first three rounds. I'm sure you can figure a lot of that out. Yeah. When I would work with Herm Edwards, you know, it was always kind of interesting. Like when I'd ask him like, Hey, how would you deal with this? And this is like off the air stuff. And then, you know, he'd mentioned this on the air. So I don't feel like I'm, I'm sharing anything that's, that's too specific. And he would tell you, but you know, when I would say, well, like when you have 53 guys and you're trying to figure out how to put the team together, like how often would you go? All right, I'll take that guy. Like, I know I don't, I'm worried about him. I'm worried about a phone call. <laughs> but I'll take them. And he goes, then Herm in Herm's way would be like, I could take four. You can take four of them. I don't <laughs> want zero. I don't want five, but I can handle four and four and four. Is, and this is, this is different because now we're kind of getting into some other stuff, but it kind of speaks back to your tenets of, I have a rule. And if I deviate from the rule, I have to remind myself that I'm deviating from the rule because you have the rule set up based on your own track record and what has or hasn't worked. 
And here's the other thing. You're absolutely right, Ryan. And you can make exceptions. But when you make exceptions, particularly when it comes to the makeup of an individual, which normally has to do with maturity and some of the bad decision making that they they've made, is is your culture, meaning your locker room and the people around them, strong enough that if you immerse that player in there, that there's a really good chance that they all the other people that you've put around them aren't going to let them deviate or become destructive. And you hope you can do that. Um, but again, you can't do it with too many people. And you just hope that the culture consumes them until they mature enough to understand, okay, maybe I can do some of these things, but I, I got to stay on the rails as well. Yeah, and that's what I think that you and Bill really, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if created is the right word, but established. You established... I believe in modern sports, the ultimate template of like, this is, this is how it's done here. And if you were someone coming from the outside and then, you know, I would talk to some guys that maybe ended up playing there and it was just like, yeah, we don't do that here (laughs) because your core guys were already established. They'd already won. Like I imagine it being a young player trying to explain to Teddy Bruschi, no, 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 this is how I feel about the situation. Like, it's just, (laughs) there's no point. There's no point. And you can say you want to create it, but you have to have the people to make up. You got to have the success too, where I'm deferring to you for a, a reason. Um, but you did create that where it almost felt like, man, when they get guys in a Foxborough, like it's, it's almost like they go through but, this, this seminar where they become a different person. He, here's what I want to say about that though. They were right for us. You know what I mean? We had it figured out for ourselves because I think sometimes when, when that's talked about, the narrative becomes unintentionally disrespectful to other, other people. What I think that we did was we were so willing, Bill and I and 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 Charlie and Ernie and th- there were a number of people, you know, we're not, we can be pains in the butt and we're not, you know, certain things were flexible, some things were inflexible and, 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 it's, and it's not easy. And I don't say that, you know, in, in a tough guy way. I just mean, you know, we're a pain in the butt sometimes. We're, we're a lot. And we had to find people that could put up with us and, and would want to thrive on it. And, and I mean, I say that and I'm only half kidding because, you know, it, it wasn't for everybody. And just because we weren't for everybody, that didn't mean those players that weren't for our program weren't good people or weren't, they, it just was what you have to do with all these things we've just been talking about, Ryan, what you have to do is get the right people for you, for your leadership style, for your, when I say for you, for Bill, you know, and the head coach who's in, you're right. And, you know, you mentioned guys, Brewski wasn't going to put up with stuff. I mean, Tommy wasn't going to put up with stuff, right? There's a reason that guys like Dion Branch and David Patton, who we got as, we didn't draft him, but we brought him as a young player, and David Gibbons, that those guys thrived under Tommy. That's because those guys were going out as early, if not earlier than Tommy, and staying as late or later than Tommy. And those guys would, you know, Tom had these relationships with all of these guys. That's how they developed. Then there were other guys who maybe, you know, and this is not a criticism, who had more tools than those guys. And we drafted higher that just that they weren't down like that. You know, they didn't want to do that stuff with Tommy. And then, you know, Tommy would give you chances, give you a chance, give you chances. And then finally he said, okay, I'm done with you. I'm working with the guys. And, and that doesn't make those people bad people. It just, that was not the right situation or circumstance for them to develop it yeah you can always tell if you watch all the games like oh brady's done with this guy (laughs) 
<laughs> like, you're like he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't trust him anymore. Like he's out there running around. They gave him a helmet, but hey, he's this game is he, trust. You know, Ryan, you were starting to say something else. It, it, it it's about trust because you know, what you forget on each side of the ball where football is very unique. It's these eleven interdependent relationships where you have to have trust and be trusted, and that's why it's not always you know people love to joke about this saying that I have that I didn't see not even my saying I stole from Parcells is it's not the best 53 it's the right 53 and there has to be you have to pay attention to the chemistry experiment component too we're having a great time here I feel like I might I I think you're going to hate this question but I'm going to ask it Uh oh Uh, I I think it may be freezing up again Ryan I'm not sure (laughs) Why do you think the Pats have struggled uh, so much recently in the draft? I, I think I don't know. Oh, in the did you mean as a team or in the in the draft? I would say the draft record. There's there's been multiple years, and really the standard has been so high that I think when you go back and you go, what's what's happening here? Like why why is it? I just feel like there was a lot of lean years. You know, here's what I'll say is I don't know the answer because I haven't been there, right? And I don't have that much intimate knowledge. I was there a long time ago. You know, it's over a decade I'm gone. So there's things that I don't know. But I'll say, you know, people always talk about the draft or they talk about free agency, right? And I always refer to this overall player acquisition. When you bring new players into your team, you don't just pour water on them. You know, some are some are ready. Some are good to go. With with the draft, sometimes it's not only selecting the right player. It's what I was just talking about, Ryan. There's player development and how players develop and who's helping to develop them. And you can't say, well, the coaches aren't developing. Well, I'll tell you this: during our most successful years, yes, the coaches had a huge input into developing players, but that entire program is developing people. You know, I go back to a guy like Anthony Pleasant, and and, and this is going to land somewhere because you talk about the success of a guy like Vince Wiltwork or a guy like, you know, people don't remember Ty Warren. You do, but he was a hell of a player for a long time for us and and an important player, first round pick. You talk about guys like Jarvis Green, who, you know, was who was a terrific player. You know, part of them developing and becoming good players and being good draft picks wasn't just the pick. It was guys like Bobby Hamilton and Anthony Pleasant who were long-tooth guys. And when they entered the program, we had a locker room full of what I call not through we had enough guys in the locker room, Ryan, that were selfless leaders. And when we talk about leadership, one of the one of the things that I always used to talk about, and I still talk about, I don't hear a lot of people talk about, is finding selfless leaders. The guys like Anthony Pleasant, Bobby Hamilton, who see Richard Seymour come into the locker room. And say, you know what? If you're better, I'm better. High tides are going to raise all boats. And if I help you become a really good player, that's part of my lasting legacy. And I, and, and I don't mean to digress. I'm bringing that point up because it's not just drafting well, Ryan. It's about the drafting the right, pl- drafting a good player, drafting the right player, and making sure that there's a system in place. And I really think part of what's happened in New England over the years is. There's been so many people that have left, players, coaches, people that understand, you know, when you have that much change in the organization, it's really tough to have a consistent player development, developmental program that, that helps your draft. 
And and that's not skirting the question in any way. I just think that people just say, ah, it's a sucky draft. Well, why? Why? Again, let's go back to the why. Let's go back to the process. Always go back to the process and figure out why. People say, oh, you had some really good draft picks. Well, thank you. But, you know, there were also some really good people around to help guys develop. Does that make sense? It does, because I, I think the Ty Warren example is, I mean, granted, this is a dude that was, you know, he was the first half of the first round. I mean, he was just outside of the top 10, I think. He was 13, number yeah. 13. So yeah, we traded up. We traded right. up together. And if you guys are trading up for somebody, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's another part of it. And then he comes in. I, I don't, I think the problem is, too, is he trades up. He's coming from this big program. He physically checks every single box, and it wasn't right away for him. So then it's like, uh-oh. What, what happened? And then he turns into one of the most versatile defensive linemen for multiple versatile, years. He did, he did everything. Right. Yeah, all right. that stuff. And remember, Richard Seymour wasn't that good his first year and a half now. But I look, I agree with you. I, I remember because he was, he was the guy that everybody was in love with. And we're like, well, if he, you know, it always felt like between you and Belichick, there's certain positions. If they fell in love with this guy at this position, then it's a lock and defensive linemen felt like okay if they're taking a d lineman and then the, you know seymour turns out to have one of the greatest careers in the franchise's history uh he i want to i think who do they want us to take that year braylon edwards i think was the is that who it was that year i'm trying to remember i think he oh, was taking uh, sixth. <laughs> he's not a pass rusher oh my gosh i know that was the other thing too it's like wait what and then, you know, the Will Fork one was one of my favorites because I got to interview him right after I was in Foxborough doing a live radio show. I missed my buddy Hal's wedding for it. And uh, <laughs> Will, Will Fork came on. He said he can't wait to play in the snow. He's a huge Larry Bird fan. So everybody felt in love with him immediately just after a 10-minute phoner. All right. I, I want to stay on something here, though. Um, yeah. Because it gets back to the information thing. So we sort of, I derailed the conversation a bit on the Lamar thing because it was like, okay, you mentioned something very specific, which I think is specific to the Lamar Jackson question. And that is gathering the information. Mm. And when it's a non-traditional representation path here, which is what it is, and he doesn't have the agent kind of work in the room at the combine, you know, being out at dinner, kind of, kind of talking to the people that were doing the job that you were doing. I think you brought up another good point. It's like, okay, well, if, if the number is this number that's just sort of out there, we have to know how real that number is. I respect people in certain industries for not wanting to have an agent, not wanting to pay the 10%. Hey, if this, there's people that I know that do my job that are like, I don't want to pay somebody 10% because I'm happy what I'm doing. That's fine. But what if you want to leave? <laughs> okay. And when you want to leave, that's when that person, that representation becomes valuable. And I, I feel like that's part of the story where it makes it a little more challenging for the player. Yeah, it, it does. And especially, you know, and I can count them, you know, less than two hands, the number of players where I did direct um, contract negotiations with, but they were different than this, right? I mean, you mentioned that Teddy Bruschi had Brad Blank as his agent for years, and then he decided um, late in his career that he wanted to do it himself. And Teddy and I sat down and, and, and talked and did the numbers. And in those conversations, you know, when you're on a side and you you're you're trying to explain why um you think this player needs to be paid in the range of these other players you can very unintentionally be received as being disrespectful even though you're not and you're trying not to because you know right we can sit here all day and we're going to disagree on things on certain things and 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 you know when it's 
when it's people say it's it's business, it's not personal. Um, I've always had a problem with that saying because personal business is extremely personal. It doesn't get any more personal than that. So when you're when you're talking about someone's ability to earn and their their finances, you're getting all up in their business. And and when you make that decision as a player, or, or and when you make that decision as a person that you're going to negotiate on your own behalf. You have to understand that there's going to be some really uncomfortable parts of the conversation, even if, you know, and no matter how much in love you are, conversations get difficult. Okay, last thing before we finish up, as I was prepping and just making sure I had everything buttoned up, you know, we know the Central Connecticut resume, the Newhouse School master's degree coming in handy, by the way. Yeah, how about that, huh? But I was in you- communications too. It was like... I didn't think I was ever going to be doing any of this stuff. <laughs> I had my application filled out and then I got a job in Trenton. So that was, that was it. <laughs> Save me a few bucks. Uh, I noticed the pictures early 2000, Scott Pioli. Were you hoping to maybe get a couple snaps at D tackle? If you lost a body in practice, you were jacked Scott. You were a yeah. big and, and you had the umbrella kind of cutoff thing that you and Bill thrive in. And so I was, I was looking back at the pictures. I, I forgot how much size we were talking about here. But let, we'll talk about this too. Thankfully, body fat was not being measured at the time. So, you know, I, I was blessed as, as a football guy. My, my dad always had broad shoulders and, you know, he, my dad was a, was a blue collar worker. And I don't know, big shoulders, I guess, are in the family. And, 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 you know, Thomas Dimitrov always kids me about, even when I lose weight, I've got this big barrel chest. So yeah, it, it looked bigger at the time. But like I said, the body fat component, because if you look closely at the pictures though, yeah, you, you see the shoulders and the, and the chest because I've never been people who love to work out and what do they say and burn stress. Um, they love to run, dude. I hate running. I hate anything to do with conditioning. So my thing was, I always used to love to lift weights, and so I never stopped lifting weights. But if you go back and you look at those pictures, along with the the broad shoulders, that's a pretty big fat head I had. <laughs> well, there, you know, <laughs> I looked. Was, at, I looked at my wife. I said, "How did you get that fat, man?" <laughs> well, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a European cut, so you were good. And by the way, Dimitrov. I mean, as a bike guy, weightlifting guys don't want to hear it from the bike guy. So, <laughs> well, Thomas, I'll tell you what. I know Thomas. Uh, I've known Thomas forever for, since I started. His dad is, one, you know, was one of my mentors. So I, Thomas and I worked together in Cleveland a hundred years ago when he was at work, he was working on the grounds crew just to remain involved in football. And Thomas, you know, Thomas, again, he's, you know, he's 57 now. He looks different. He does. He's got a different regimen than he did, but Thomas back in the day, he loved to lift weights, but he's got scars. He's had both shoulders cut up. He's got, yeah, he's uh so he had to stop doing certain lifts, but I, I saw pictures of Thomas, you know, when he played, he was he was a defensive back. You know, he 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 looked very different. Big thick neck, big ugly mullet. He had a bad mullet too, by the way. Yeah, but he's always a little he's always got a different vibe to him, which I've respected, <laughs> by the way. So, you know what, for guys that played, I'm 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 not gonna I'm not gonna get on anybody's exercise thing because you guys you guys played and I'm just sitting here hanging out. Um let's do this again, Scott. Appreciate it. Yeah, Thank let's run. All right, again, Scott Pioli, part of the NFL Network's draft coverage. It'll be April twenty seventh through the twenty ninth. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. 
From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. He's somebody I got to meet years ago. We keep in touch. I'm passionate about his job. He is passionate. That's why he has it. It's George Atala, who is the Assistant Executive Director of External Affairs um, for the NFLPA. Uh, What's up, man? Good to see you again. So good to see you, man. It's been a while. Glad to be with you. I'm just going to jump in head first here. The Lamar Jackson story, we're we're all trying to figure it out. Um, And J.J. Watt had a tweet yesterday where he was just kind of like, why are so many teams, and specifically the owners, okay just announcing why they have no interest in Lamar Jackson and then never being specific, which is something that you pointed out, that, hey, this is really important. So let's just start at the beginning. Where are you right now with trying to figure out what's going on with the Lamar Jackson story this offseason? Yeah, we're we're trying to figure it out as well. And I think we have more questions than answers. We have a lot of questions around why the non-exclusive? Why were the Baltimore Ravens so comfortable placing the non-exclusive tag on a on an MVP player in his prime at the most important position? I mean, to restate what JJ posted on Twitter. Um, why did teams back away when that tag came in? Why at the league meetings just a few days ago? were NFL owners out there literally devaluing uh, the player by saying that he's got an injury record or, you know, whispers around other things that are just demonstrably not true. So right now, Ryan, we just have a lot more questions than we do answers. Um, I think it's our job, obviously, to not just back him up, but um, if there is another let's just say coordinated effort to prevent this young man from, from, from getting what he deserves. And it's our job to try to figure that out. Coordinated was a very uh, specific word. <laughs> it was, it was a different, it was a different word than maybe the yes. one that starts with the same letter. That's, it's a little bit more uh, damning. Um, I'll just say it then. I mean, is there a fear that collusion is going on? There's, there is a fear that there is a fear. And um, without, you know, diving into the a pool that potentially doesn't have water, you know, it's a, it is a high bar to, to climb to try to find out if that's the case. But look, the questions that we have raised and the questions that the media has raised and the questions that, you know, I've heard you raise and what raised your eyebrows are all the things that, um, is our responsibility to to stand up, not just for Lamar, but for players that are going to come after him, right? So there's another crop of quarterbacks um, who are coming after him who might want to look at what happens with Lamar as a basis for what they get in the marketplace. You're a basketball guy. You know that guaranteed contracts didn't come about until Larry Bird used Moses Malone's contract and said, I want it fully guaranteed, guys. And um, when Larry did it, and that became the custom and practice in basketball, uh, trickled over into baseball. And we've had fits and starts here in the NFL, but never fully uh, had guaranteed contracts the way that other sports have. Not a result of the CBAs, but a result of the leverage that the players have wanted to use with their agents to get that done. So if Lamar feels like he's valued at that level, which we certainly believe he is, then go for it, man. And we've got your back. How do you think Deshaun Watson's contract then being fully guaranteed, what, $240 million, how do you think 
that has influenced the way players view themselves? I think there's been a trend over the last five years, um, given the combination of teams have to spend money. There's a minimum cash spend in the NFL. There is a resounding um, feeling amongst players that they now have more leverage than they used to have. I think our agents are getting smarter about, you know, language and contracts and, and using tools that maybe weren't the case years ago. I think the union has done a better job of making sure information is available both publicly and privately to players and agents to, to set the market, so to speak. And then, you know, when you have a, you have a contract like Deshaun, it sort of sets the, you know, holy cow, we, we should be out trying to get this done too for ourselves. So it's not so much the Deshaun thing, which NFL owners love to call, quote unquote, the outlier. It's more of we're trying to set a trend here that players have leverage, that players have value, and that they should go out and get it. And it's not just at the quarterback position either. So um, we're pleased to see that. And and by the way, teams have to spend the money anyway. So go out and go out and do it. The franchise tag, you know, I remember as a fan loving it because it meant my favorite player would always stay unless he wasn't good anymore. Um, and then I remember hearing media members arguing it's not that big of a deal because if you look at the number of players that actually played under the franchise tag, it's minimal, which is true. But then once yeah. I became a little more educated, I was like, that's that's not the point. It's not the point. And for those that have listened to this podcast, I know you've heard it a million times. I'll just say it one more time. The fact that it exists is a problem. Is there ever during CBA negotiations, could you give us a sense of how how little was my guess momentum there is of of the player side going, we need to fix this mechanism. We need to actually eliminate this mechanism so that it doesn't exist, so that it doesn't suppress really what true free agency would be, where if Lamar were a true free agent or other top quarterbacks are true free agents, we'd have more contracts that would reflect Deshaun Watson. But we're still kind of in this like transitionary period where Oh, we don't have to guarantee all of it. And again, that's another debate about guarantees and what it would mean the first three years, which I'm not I'm not trying to get bogged down in. But of the the to do list that the Players Association wants you to focus on, I mean, my guess is it's not a major priority because of the what 1,700 plus players. <laughs> there, there's very few that care because they know it's not really ever going to impact their career. They they do care, and and I don't want to diminish the tag as a as a you know, an issue that needs to be fixed or eradicated altogether. I don't want to diminish that. It's been in place since 1993. So let's just start there. Um, every CBA we've done whatever we can as a union to chip away at the nature of the tag as a, as a restrictive mechanism for players. Kirk Cousins famously and effectively used the franchise tag to leverage that into a guaranteed contract, right? So... Um, it's not that it's a bad thing or a good thing. I think, Ryan, when we're talking about these issues, the context of how all of them fit together and how players and agents and the union, candidly, um, need to flex in order to make those more beneficial to players than they were to owners. I think that's really the conversation that we're trying to have, which is, look, it's a monumental hill to climb in order to kill it. 
It just is. And players have to do something, whether it's on an individual level or on a collective level, to get rid of it altogether. And that just needs to, you know, we need to have that discussion. Um, but it's it's a negotiation. Owners don't want it out. We want it out. It's either what are we willing to give up for it or do to get it out, or what's their willingness to get rid of it um, or or kill it from the CBA. And so far, we've found this sort of in-between um, space where we've chipped away at it and chipped away at it. Same with commissioner discipline, right? You could say the same thing about a number of singular polarizing issues that are on the quote-unquote to-do list, as you put it. Um, our job is to try to, if we can't get rid of them in one felt swoop, how do we chip away to make it less restrictive for the players? And I don't want to get that number wrong when I say, you know, because it's not just the 53 times 32 teams. Uh, yeah, we're it's talking it's, Yeah, right. Okay, all right. But, you know, when we're talking about this out loud, and you're saying we're almost at 2,000 players. Okay, well, we can, we can make progress on shipping away at the franchise tag, but we're going to have to take a cut here. And it's like, no. I, you know, so I, I get why it's been in place since 1993. Uh, as far as Lamar and the rumors about his representation or not having any representation, what is true? What can you put to rest about how his information is being relayed to teams and what's being relayed to him? Well, obviously, the league sent out that that letter, um, making sure the teams knew that they were supposed to be distant from somebody who was purporting to to represent Lamar. Lamar went out publicly and said that that wasn't the case. Um, there is a provision, you know, that that only um, registered contract advisors can represent players. If that's not the case, player has to represent himself. And in this case, we're doing what we can to support Lamar. So. Um, I think, you know, I'll let Lamar's, uh, tweets stand for themselves and, uh, you know, don't want to get ahead of where he's at in terms of how he's approaching this process, but rest assured, you know, we've been as supportive as we can over the last, not just over the last few weeks, but over the last year or so. Um, and, and we continue to be proud that we're doing that. I didn't know what to make of that story at all. Uh, because on one hand, I saw what Lamar's tweets were, and I'm sure there's tons of stuff that Lamar has seen about him that isn't true, and he points out to us that, is, that isn't true. I also have a hard time believing that like multiple teams would just tell NFL media members that there is this guy. <laughs> like, So I'm trying to figure out how the chain of information is going from which teams are interested, what's out there. And I think we both know how business is done. I talked with Pioli about this just minutes ago where it's like, and I've talked about this with Mike Sand. I've, you know, if you're gonna try to get out of your gig, there usually has to be somebody else helping you figure out where the landing spots are. I don't care who you are. So if he doesn't have anyone talking to the teams, which I don't think is true, there has to be some way. Like, are can you help? Can you advise? Can you can you make calls on his behalf? Like, what can you do with something that's a little non traditional here for a player? Yeah, we we've been in touch with him, but remember, he doesn't necessarily the the non-exclusive tag at the moment doesn't necessarily require a negotiation or us to be out there trying to fish around. I mean, he he put out in his tweets on what was it Monday morning that he requested a trade in early March. Um, the tag right now is the tag is the tag. So there's a price if teams want to go get them. There's a price that they can go get them. There's been a precedent set 
where other teams have made trades for non-quarterback, non-MVP players that nearly match that value of the non-exclusive tag. So then it, everything sort of points back to the initial question of, does he really need uh, an agent or us or anybody else to gin up interest, right? Like that's really the core question here is, why is it a question that um, there's somebody out there that needs to gin up interest from teams that clearly could use an upgrade at that position? And even if they don't need an upgrade at that position, he's an MVP caliber player, right? And instead what's happening is you've got teams on the record and seeding things on background to other folks in the media devaluing Lamar. And I think that's the thing that, um, you know, I'll use the word offensive, is offensive to us as a tactic is don't try to cover up um, the the true nature of what's happening behind the scenes by, you know, seeding this over here or saying you're not interested over there or saying we're happy with the guy we've got, you know, in the case of some other teams, like he's an MVP player. Um, and, and that's really what, what our focus is on. Yeah. And that, that does bring it back to something I actually did want to follow up. It's weird to see an owner at owner's meeting sitting outside in Arizona talking about the injury history of another player. It's weird. Um, yeah. And I, it, this feels pretty unique that we've had a, you know, beat reporter for this team checked, no interest. That that maybe isn't that that by the way isn't that weird. What was weird is to see the Arthur Blank thing. Who I'm wondering if he's actually just trying to tell his constituents <laughs> before you you wonder why. Here's I, I'm protecting myself and my own fan base. This isn't about some coordinated effort. Like I'm just you ask me the question. I'm telling you. I'm telling you what our football people are telling you. But it feels very specific to Lamar, where I can see both your frustration and his his fellow players' frustration because I don't know that I've seen this. I'm trying. I mean, I'm, I I hate forgetting stuff. That's, I I don't have we ever seen something like this. I certainly haven't. I mean, you know, I've been in my role now for whatever it is, 14 years. I mean, you know, our executive director, Demore Smith, you know, said explicitly he hasn't seen anything like this in his career. The The reality is, and, you know, I'm not attempting to pivot to a totally different subject, but what we learned and we've always known when we did our, for example, our report card um, project, there's not a, you know, every team is like a different, has a different culture and a different standard. And I think the biggest sort of unkept secret in the NFL, what we're finding with some of these teams and the coming out there, they're so terrified of communicating to their fan bases that they're actually not trying to win. Like that's the thing that I think is the most um, frustrating part about all this is you're right. They are trying to signal to their fan base that, Hey, don't be upset if we didn't come after one of the best players to be available in the marketplace for several years now, maybe in a generation. It's because he's got an injury record or it's because he's got this or because he's got that. Man, if I'm a Falcons fan, I'm I'm angry. I'm annoyed. You're trying to come up here and sell me season tickets and and you know, concessions and all the like and make me buy jerseys and all this stuff and a once in a generation player is available and you're going to tell me that you're not going to go after him because of his injury history. I'd be kind of upset if I was a Falcons fan. Okay. I, I like to do this. I don't like doing it for the owners, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here. 
Uh, All right. And, and I, I don't want to do it for this ownership group, but I'm going to. <laughs> but it's uh, just you and me here, right? Right. But again, I cannot like someone. I cannot like something. I don't hold myself to some rule where I have to disagree with 100% of what they say, even though the NFL owners get pretty close. Um, all right. Let me, let me look at it this way. Uh, I think there's real confusion on what the real number is. Okay. You know, Deshaun's guaranteed at 230 mil. That was obviously unique. I think it's it's kind of great for the players, but I think it's clear the owners are like, don't expect that that's going to be the norm. But then if there isn't the agent in the traditional sense, the tr- traditional line of communication here where it's like, what is the actual number? So if there's an owner that's like, I don't even know what the hell the number is. Is that what he wants? We're not doing that. Um, maybe without the message, this this is a little cloudy. Um, the missed games thing, although odd that Arthur Blank would bring it up in that point, although maybe he was just playing to his fan base or explaining it to him, I think it's a real part of it. And Baltimore still has leverage here because of the tag. So what if this is just as simple as a player who, as good as he is with the MVP resume, isn't really considered by the football people as a clear-cut top five guy and that there's maybe some more things you have to do to bring him in. You have to work some things around offensively. I think your eyes are already starting to roll on me. What no, if it's no, just, they're not rolling. Right. I'm, I'm, what, 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 absorbing. If just, what if it's just a bunch of teams that are saying, and I'd agree with that, I don't love that it's happening publicly, that they're going, he's really good, maybe he's not one of those guys, and if this $230, $240 million rumor is actually even true, we're good. We're not going to do this. What if that's all this is? Uh, I, I don't know how to respond to that beyond saying first out of out of respect for Lamar I'm not going to we're not going to negotiate on his behalf uh in the media he knows what his value is he knows what he believes he's worth and he knows what the marketplace you know has borne out for quarterbacks who have negotiated contracts just in the last couple of years before him so it, it, there's no you know there's no magic number out there that um either he you know, is going to land on or whatever. And and we certainly are not going to get ahead of him on that. I think the point that we're really fixated on as a union and our support of Lamar as he seeks his full value are the questions that I asked about. And to your point, if a singular team looks at him as a player and says, okay, that's um, not what we're interested in at the moment, then that's okay in an isolated case. But it's not the case that it's an isolated situation where you've got only one team out there who's walked away or publicly tried to see that they're backing away. In isolation, what you're saying is acceptable, but we're not talking about isolation. And I think we have to take things as they are as opposed to, um, you know, what, what, I think you're trying to make the case of, yeah, one team's out, one team's out, right? Like I can see the case in in the case of Buffalo. Hey, we got Josh Allen. He's our guy. We're all in on Josh. He's brought us close to a Super Bowl and, and that's our quarterback. That's an isolated case. We're not seeing that, um, in the, in the public marketplace right now. That's the frustrating part. Is there a move here for the NFLPA? Like, does there, is there an ending? where you feel like as a union, there's a move that you have to make. Could be, but uh, I'll share that with you at another time. (laughs) Could Uh, be. Could be. 
Is there any hint at what would have to happen for a move to possibly be scheduled, you know, for a move that that could happen? We, we have, we have a little bit of, in general, I think there's a little bit of luxury of time, right? Like training camps don't really start up until July. Um, there's going to be a period here where you've got some inflection points with the draft and and other things that could, um, you know, change teams' perspective or move things around. So we're still very early in in the process. Um, I think it's it's I think it's really important for us to have this conversation about what we're seeing and and clarify some of the misinformation that is being seeded about Lamar. Right, the injury history the there's a magic number that he won't move off of the um you know how he's going about this process i think all of those things are important to talk about to make sure that um number one he knows that we've got his back but number two that he's he doesn't feel like he's out there alone trying to combat this stuff right so i think all of those are really important and then the second piece ryan is like we have to really Again, it's our job if there's a coordinated effort. Uh, it's our job to try to find out um, if that's the case and prove it. And um, we'll see. I mean, we'll we'll see how this plays out, but we've got a little bit of time. And thanks for your time today. It's George Child from the NFLPA. Uh, it's always a pleasure, man. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. Modelo knows it's not about whether you win or lose. It's about cheering louder, traveling further. It's about showing up no matter what. Because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. An ice-cold reward. Rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. All right, we got life advice. Uh, life advice are gmail.com. We have a million follow-ups. We could do it. Um, you know, uh, I lead, lead from the front here. I, I should have mentioned the tampon uh if you just joined today's podcast for the first time ever, <laughs> boy, are you confused? Uh, but Check the, the toilet, <laughs> the high, yeah, the high pressure toilet question of the girl. I dropped the ball on that one. I wasn't thinking about. It. We had a lot of people chime in and, and tell us we were what it was. Some other people told us we were absolute fucking idiots for not bringing it up. I just wasn't thinking that way. So, um, you know, I forget. For did they hook up right after though? I, what, yeah, that's and, what he said. So that's why it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Unless I, I don't she's think a super that's super well. I mean, now we're going down a road again, you know, I just, because that was the first thing I thought of when it was that, but I, now I don't want to even do this anyway. But the, my favorite part is the follow-up of the guy that's even more wrong than we were by not bringing it up, where it's like, are you guys seriously not fucking realizing that it's like, and then it's like, that's definitely not what it was. Um, 
like the mystery solvers over here. So, all right. So that's one follow-up. Everybody hates Saruti now again. It's funny you're <laughs> turning right. into you're turning yeah. into like an elitist now on the show. <laughs> yeah, which is really annoying. the masters thing. Yeah, what's going on with you? Well, I first off, obviously they they sent out the tweet of the video. It was a good video, and you know, in that video, I say I'm happy for the guy. I'm happy for my brother-in-law. It's going to be an awesome time. I just kind of feel a little weird about it. I don't think I'm being an asshole. I don't think I'm being like Debbie Downer. I just it's kind of how I feel. You felt the same way, Ryan. So. I don't know. Like, I'm not. I'm. 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 I'm happy that Kyle. I'm not sitting here saying Kyle's a phony. Like the the Rochelle memes account is <laughs> tweeting out Family Guy clips about me calling everybody a phony. I don't think Kyle's a phony. I just think it's it's not didn't really go to the Masters. I'm happy for Kyle. So I don't know. I, maybe I'm a dick. I, just I, don't I got think the cups. That, I got the cups in my house. I don't know what to say. Yeah, as you said, you ate a couple sandwiches. Like I'm happy for you. I'm happy for everybody. It's just I don't know. I just think it's, I just think there's a difference. It's not even that now. It feels a little condescending, but I, I'd like to move on if you would. <laughs> I'm happy for <laughs> you, bud. Tension. Glad you glad you saw Augusta. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you, does that mean you think you've been to Detroit ten times because you've been to the airport? Uh, <laughs> uh, those people actually are the worst. Like, how many states have you been to? Well, you know, uh, this many. Like I had a layover in Denver. Layover so I went in Charlotte. To all like, the time. Have you though? Big Charlotte guy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a huge Charlotte guy. I've never been in the city. I've been to the airport 20 times. I don't know that there's a place I've been to more that I've not been to than Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was, that's, that's why it's a good joke. Detroit's yeah. right there because yeah. I I did drive from Detroit to East Lansing when I did a show at Michigan State, but I didn't hang out in Detroit. Yeah, I think Detroit and Charlotte would be, they'd be one seeds, that's for sure. They'd be tied. Speaking of seeds. Uh. <laughs> We did our sweet 16 of of worst dudes. There's probably some production stuff that I could add to it maybe a year from now if I ever want to do it again, but you never know. Kyle <laughs> never checked back in with us on Tuesday because there was something to the text thread to the extent of like, you had some serious, serious, thoughts. like we had left some people out of the tournament. Um, and then Tuesday, it was never brought up. I don't know if that was my fault or your fault. I don't know if we need to, investigate further on this one <laughs> it was it was not uh it, it was not your fault it, it was i was kind of trying to sweep it under the rug i believe i'm looking for the text i think i texted yeah it was saturday I have it, here. it was a saturday text yeah. and it makes all the sense in the world it was like we have to do the honorable mention guys i've got a million of them some of them are awesome <laughs> some are and, awesome is the best part of the text by the way some are awesome. so many i think i said i have so many some are awesome and you were like great i'm down and then I remember texting the thread the next day, like, are we good to go or something? And I saw that text. I was like, oh, no, I forgot all of them. I was like, I hope he doesn't bring this up. And then uh, you it was like a typical I got the greatest idea in the world, you know, a couple couple reeb's deep as I've learned the vernacular from you. Uh, and I was just like, I'm a genius. I can't wait to do this. And then, you know, Tuesday rolls around. I'm like, ah, I don't even know who that guy is. So I um. Uh, you asked me today and I was like, oh, no, no, I didn't. We didn't forget. I I definitely just tried to steer us along and know another direction instead of the uh, honorable mention guys. So a uh, long story short, I, I can't remember even one of the hundreds that I had on Saturday. <laughs> OK, you was can't remember the fellas one. At the, no, I was working about with the fellas at the bar. You know, they were they were giving me some and I was we were all getting excited. We're like, oh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the segment, man. I, I appreciate it. Uh, we'll get we'll get, you know, we'll get a follow up going can't remember one so uh <laughs> you're right though saruti because it's a three bracketed text here i think we should do honorable mentions <laughs> for worst guy on tuesday next text i've got a bunch last text 
some are awesome. <laughs> that makes it even worse. It's but so see, the thing is, is that's how fucking annoying the hangover is in that that is the most harmless text. None of it means. And then the first thing in your head is, oh, no, what did I send? And it's the mind just fucking with everybody where it's like you didn't say anything. I was I even immediately responded, fired up for it. Can't wait. I legitimately was. Yeah, I would still do the segment. I I wonder how many great songs never got made because that guy was just like, fuck, what was that? It was like sitting at the bar thinking about a tune in his head. Some of the greatest songs in the world probably never got made because of that exact situation. All right. All right. Let's get to some life advice. Sorry for that. You don't need to be sorry. for. Stop apologizing. Well, I'm just sorry. I I dropped the ball on the uh, they were. awesome. I could tell you. I remember how I felt. They were awesome, but uh, I don't know what they are. Okay, uh, this title is I Can't Stop Dating My Teammates. <laughs> okay. 20, 22-65-165 on a good day. Slim. Good day for the Durant Open. Oh, yeah. Quit basketball in middle school to focus on my main sport, track. Oh, all right. Okay, that now it makes sense. Uh, because I was too short, my game is basically Jay Crowder without a jump shot. Sometimes Jay Crowder's game is Jay Crowder's game without a jump shot. So I run cross country and track at D1 school in the South. Never been that great. Oh, he's cross country. No wonder you've won 65, 60. Long strides. Yeah. 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 Fucking sinewy hammies. Never been that great, uh, but definitely a glue guy. I think campaign in the 2021 players. This guy loves pointing out (laughs) Phoenix Suns role players. Great energy. can give you buckets off the bench. I would admit, too, I've come around a campaign a little. Well, I campaigns played better than just psycho campaign. Where you're like, what's this going to be like for this four-minute stretch? All right, so great, dude. We got it. I have one problem. I can't stop dating my teammates because we're a co-ed team. Okay. We spend a lot of time with the girls at practice, meets, et cetera. And with this comes some obvious feelings that will emerge. Brief history. Freshman year, I had a short-term situation with another freshman. Let's call her Anna. We'll get back to her. <laughs> Will we? <laughs> Sophomore year was COVID, and I grew out of a really unfortunate. I grew out a really unfortunate mustache, so nothing was happening there. So you just out of the game for an entire year, going with the ironic mustache, yeah. huh? You know what? I'm not trying to hook up. Let's grow a mustache. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> what are you doing there? Oh, a long red chin <laughs> thing. Remember the guy from Anthrax? <laughs> I want that. I want it redder, and I want it longer. Oh my god. And I don't want to hook up once for both semesters. Mission accomplished, dude. All right. Junior year, I made out with the hottest girl on our team. <laughs> this guy's all over the place. <laughs> Got Some rid of, of these that guys mustache. should pay you for how well you read their emails. That's, that's pretty good. Her name was Maria, and that was in December. And then I dated her best friend, Sophia, also on the team. For about eight months, February to September of 22. Shortly oh, he's thereafter. invested in time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this guy, if this, he murders anybody, he's going to have his story locked up. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, that was March. Like, damn, we can't, we, we can't crack this guy. It must be the mustache. Flash forward to this semester and Anna comes back into the picture. That was who we made out with freshman year. Freshman. Uh, Thank you, Kyle. Keep writing these down. About a month ago, I found out she broke up with her boyfriend of about two years. The backup punter, good leg, just not great work ethic. Bro, you're kind of (laughs) exposing yourself here a bit. 
Uh, and we decided to catch up over a platonic cup of coffee. This led to a lot of flirting, texting, hanging out. Just an aside, I didn't know what platonic meant for a little while. And boy, when you don't know what that word means and you're wow. texting with a woman. <laughs> I feel like she's really into astrology. You, you are on two <laughs> completely different wavelengths. <laughs> oh, man. Really into the planets. Wait, this is a platonic sleepover? All right. Kyle's like, that's crazy. I'm a Sagittarius. <laughs> I also love the stars. <laughs> For a podcast that doesn't smoke weed, man, this is an interesting episode. All right. This led to a lot of flirting, texting, hanging out. Now, about a month later, we're basically dating. She also said, I'm a Kyle-level kisser, which Let's was go. a huge win for the skinny guys. That explains so, why you can't stop dating people. Yeah, she was like, I, he's kind of skinny, and that mustache here sucked, but man, can he make out. So here's my question. What should I do? I really like her, but I'm about to move very far away to the Northwest, and she's coming off a very long-term relationship that didn't end great, not to mention the girls' team, especially Marie and Sophia, are anything but thrilled about the situation. But Anna and I work really well together. Neither of us really cares what everyone else thinks, not to mention she's super hot and kind of out of my league. There it is. Am I overthinking it? Yes. <laughs> and should I just enjoy myself before breaking it off once I graduate in May, seeing where it goes? Should I cut myself off from the girls team since obviously I have no self-control? Honestly, I think you should do whatever you can to always be on this team. <laughs> See if okay. they need a manager next year. What's your yeah, eligibility right. like? Yeah. yeah. Do, we do, a, do you, I have to get a yeah. COVID year? Yeah, I think he does get a COVID year. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sounds like you're going to grad school, my man. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> Just to add a major. <laughs> you like history? <laughs> Although the team, if they knew this, they'd be like, I mean, how does, well does the team do? Be like, oh, our girls' team's terrible. This guy keeps making out with all of them, and they're all fighting. <laughs> Although cross Team country, morale is super low. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> team vibes are shattered because of this great kisser. It's really skinny. Uh, yeah, you're overthinking it, dude. You're 22. None of this is going to matter ever. If you like the one girl more than all the other ones that you've made out with, just Ride it out for a bit. And it sounds like you're going to be making out with chicks and you move to the other town and <laughs> you're not going to care about any of this. You are you are not experienced enough to go through how, like, you should just be psyched that this is your problem, okay? And I don't mean to be dismissive of, of age or anyone being younger, but it's just a very true thing. Like, as you get older, you start to look at these decisions going, who gives a shit? Because you've already been through these things. You already have these scars and you're like, whatever. Like, this is not even a scar. Isn't it? Like, apparently every hot girl on the team wants to make out with you. And then the one that you like the most likes you again. And, you know, you're graduating. What are we in? Almost April here. Yeah. You're not going to see 95% of these people ever again. Like, very shortly. So, uh, I wouldn't stress out about it. I think I'd just look in the mirror and fucking point to myself and go, I'm awesome if I were you. <laughs> yeah i mean if this was if you were a junior i would say dude just stop dating people and see what happens would you but um now he did that I mean, sophomore year well i mean he he kind of took that Throw it back he didn't have a choice right he was like i'm sitting at home anyway right he was like it was pandemic mustache sort of likely deal. yeah likely yeah. kyle that he was, was just like you know i'm not even legally supposed to touch you know kiss a woman right now so it's like uh i think it was he he he's like I feel bad for like those people that lost part of their like high school shit like you know my cousins or you know 
my cousin Zoe. She lost like two, two and a half years of her high school. It's like she just didn't have the normal thing. And so for this guy, I was going to say like, oh, well, you've dated somebody and then you got locked down and then you kissed a couple girls and now you're about to be <laughs> and now you're about to be dating someone else. But yeah, it doesn't matter. I would say don't date her. Uh, but if she, if you make it seem like she's dating you, because you guys are about to be out of here and like, what is it? I don't know if what the SEC sort of uh, schedule is, but I mean, you'd probably be out of there by like May, right? So, yeah, um, I, I, I don't know. know. I don't know what it is either. I mean, we're looking at under six weeks here. Yeah, I'd say, you know, would it matter if, if it's if you want to hang out? If you want to hang out often, that's cool. But I wouldn't like start making like plans and and summer, you know, summer like I'll go to your family summer vacation. You come to mine. I wouldn't do any of that. But I would just, you know, whatever she's comfortable with. If if she's like, you know, she doesn't want you to be seeing other people during the stretch, and you're cool with that, that's cool. But I mean, you're probably gonna break up with her as soon as you leave, anyways, right? If you guys are dating, so I just say, yeah, do what feels comfortable. You don't even have to really bring it up. I just say, start keep. Keep kissing that girl, man. Good, good for you. But uh, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be like laying out plans or anything if I were you. As long as you can keep her happy, you don't have to, you don't have to rock the boat. It is interesting. Like the, you know, I don't have much to add on that, but I will say. So he's a tall guy, he's an athlete. So you Real know, like tall. the likelihood, the likelihood that he leaves college and is still going to be able to do all right in the scene is probably pretty high, right? Pretty high. But there is this weird thing. Like you kind of just always think that, oh, like you know, in college it's so easy to meet other people, it's so easy to meet girls, it's and then you kind of that. go out into the real world, you get a job. It's just it's not the same. This guy has the built-in track thing where he just always has an in with these, you know, hot girls. Uh, I don't know. I, I would say don't let that die until the last minute because you just never know. You never know. So keep riding this thing, do your thing, and uh, you know, I wouldn't commit to anything long term. You know, I don't think you have to do that. If she's asking you that, then just I would just walk away. But you know, I would just live <laughs> it up for the last away. month or so. Well, yeah, I mean, if she's like, hey, I want to lock you down now and to make sure this is a thing for the long term, I don't think I would sign up for that. But he is a good kisser. Maybe she will. Honestly, walking away and being like, Ugh. We, we spent way too much time on this one. Like, this is. Yeah. Congrats, dude. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> don't think about it much more. But yeah, when you're like 27 and running around in Seattle and your fucking pants, a ton of hot girls aren't going to want to make out with you this much. <laughs> Definitely not. Just a heads up. All right. Uh, let's see here. Once in a lifetime opportunity. Okay. Uh, this isn't, this one isn't specifically for Ryan, but mostly for Ryan. I'm 22, 23 in a week. Happy birthday, bud. 6'2, 180 pounds. I'm abroad in Italy with a couple of kids in my college program for the last full semester of school. And my goal in life is to always become a GM of a professional soccer team. So maybe that oh. was for Sarudi. Okay. I know you've pre- repeatedly said in the past uh, that the only way to become one is to, quote, know a billionaire who owns a team or know a billionaire who wants to buy a team. That wasn't the only one. It was the advice that I got, and it is very accurate advice. And yeah, I mean, you could go that route. I'm not saying that it's impossible to do it any other way. Uh, well, my roommate is family friends with the owner of an MLS team. Won't say. Good. That's a good smart step. I wasn't going to share it even if you did because we're not going to do that. When I told my roommate one night how passionate I was and how determined I was to make this dream come true, he told me he literally is family friends with an owner and has his phone number. We chatted further and he told me he could set me up with a meeting with him when I get back. Now, just to show that I'm not some schmuck who likes sports and has no intangible skills for the job, I've worked very hard and currently the num- in the number one international business program in the country and double major in international business and economics with this program while keeping a 3.8 GPA. Fuck nice. yeah, dude. I've had management internships along with pretty high-level banking responsibilities. I don't believe that part. I don't. 
That's like that show <laughs> industry where that girl's like an intern. And they're like, go after this guy. See if you can get a couple billion from him. She's like, okay, cool. Uh, I don't, I sound like I'm really dissing this guy. Just, you know, I mean. Hey, we all juice up the resume. It's okay if you do it for us. Right. Um, and I've also played on club soccer teams where by the end of my freshman year at my old university, I was named captain. Wait, you were named, maybe you do do high-level banking then. Unstoppable um, force, this guy. He was a freshman captain? Oh, club team. Oh. Still, I don't know. Uh, I was named captain, was having thorough discussions with my coach about tactical analysis and how to approach our roster and formations. I am very pragmatic and analytic personality. People tell me way too much. This is almost to a fault. Yes, I know that's not great either, but it helps with where I want to be. So he's he can he can look, he can analyze, but he also can make the decision that needs to be made. Okay, now that I have the important points of the story, when I get back to the States, I have this meeting with the owner of this MLS team. How do I approach the conversation? So you're going to meet with the owner of an MLS team. All right. I know I would never uh, get some high-level position out of college. Yes, good. you would good not. To know. Yeah. <laughs> good to yes. know. Yes, yes, you would not. That's why I should be your GM. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, in fairness to the emailer, he could very well be doing the disarming of, you know, like he's stating something all of us know that's super obvious, but we all feel like we have to say it now because we have to craft every fucking opinion in sentence to be armored against the guy that's like, well, <laughs> shitty internet you guy. actually like, you know, like it's not a fucking thesis. It's a tweet. So unfortunately, <laughs> I think we're all fucking doing this. So let's give the emailer some credit. You're right. Give him the benefit of the doubt yep. that he wasn't, he didn't need to talk himself out of becoming assistant GM right out of college. That's a problem, man. We're all sharing all these thoughts with each other. And then we go into these defensive modes of like, well, no shit. You don't have to say that. And you're like, dude, you've been out there, been swimming in the deep end. So, <laughs> all right. I'm realistic. But do I ask if there's an opportunity for me to shadow the current GM? No. No. <laughs> I was going to say yeah, he's no. going to love that. <laughs> all right. Do I ask what it takes to become a GM or how to get in touch with people who could get me to that goal? No. See if you can sell some tickets, pal. Right. <laughs> I'm answering these questions in real time. I'm just not fully sure what to ask or how to approach it. Yeah, we're we're finding that out. Would love some advice from you guys. I realize an opportunity like this is literally once in a lifetime for just about anyone, and I cannot fuck it up. I'll never forgive myself for it. All right, well, let's not fuck it up together. I get what you want to do. And you know what? It is important to tell an employer at some point what you want to do. I wouldn't tell them in the interview. You know what I mean? Get inside the gates and fucking figure it out once you're inside. I think that's really good advice that I was given about. Like, you don't want to sit in an interview and give them reasons to not give you this gig. Now, you may have a leg up because of the personal relationship. What you want to be is you want to be the least threatening, most eager, most malleable, non-fucking annoying, sort of driven, but keep it to your fucking self guy ever in this interview. Right. You want to have all these things that you could potentially be, but you want to make sure you're avoiding being perceived as somebody that's like, wait, are we going to get this guy in? He's going to be super fucking annoying. Like, I remember one time, fuck, I was trying to get a bartending gig at Davio's. Right. And they were like, what else do you do? And I was like, I'm part time at this radio station. And she was like, oh, so you want to bartend, but you also want to do something else. I'm like, yeah, 
like <laughs> yeah, what's your 401k like here? <laughs> I can't be the only bartender that's ever also had potentially other goals. Granted, I wasn't going to be a very good fit for that place. Uh, that wasn't going to be a good fit. So, um, but you want to avoid like talking too much. Now, granted, like uh, this 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 concept of talking less, sitting back, it is great. I can't do it. I'm by myself way too much. At least at ESPN, I was nine to five. So when I got home, I didn't want to talk. I don't know, man. I'm getting fucking weird. I'm by myself all the time. So now I'm talking more than I ever did before. Like if I'm in a group setting and I've made some adjustments where I'm like, hey, chill the fuck out. Um, it's like, man, people, what's going on? So the point of this is, is that if 22 is eager or 23 in a week, as eager as you are and as excited as you are and like, man, it's kind of fucking you, you don't want to like freak out about this. You know, this is you talking to the hot girl that's actually giving you attention. That's what this is for you. And you're like, all right, keep it together. So here's what I would do. You know what you want to do. All right. You don't have to share that with them the entire time. You want to come in and you can say, look, um, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm preparing myself to do. If you want to say like one day I would love to be in a position to work on the front office side, that's totally fine. They should, probably should ask you that in the interview. Like, what do you see yourself doing? Right. You can share it then. But don't say, hey, can I shadow the GM now? Because you know what the GM's likely going to do? Like what? He doesn't know you yet. That's a privilege. That's a privilege for the GM to then invest some of his time in you. And you're going to figure out how to have to do that. But once you're inside the doors, you could do don't share it in that meeting. I think the point that I'm trying to make here is that your number one goal should be about selling yourself to get in the doors and be willing to do anything and prove with your resume and your grades and how motivated that you've been in the past. And then you're in these international business classes overseas and that you're a double fucking major. Like you'd be like, I, this is what I want to do more than anything. And I can't wait to get my whole stuff started. That's all the selling that you're really going to have to do. Because the specific stuff of like, oh, are we going to get this guy in here? And in six months, he's going to say, hey, I know my worth and I'm going to tell you my truth now. <laughs> and I need to be a GM and you're 23. Not saying that's what you're going to do, but like sometimes I have admiration for this younger generation of kind of demanding things earlier. And then other times I find them to be the most annoying fucking people ever because <laughs> I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like, get your ass kicked a little bit. All right. Especially if you're trying to do the really cool shit that's more specific, that there's way more competition with. So I know it sounds like I'm saying two different things here, but I'm not. What I'm saying is you want to sell yourself in a way where you're not selling yourself as a potential problem, where it's like you are so driven that you're skipping some steps and you're going to have to kind of do whatever they want you to do because a million people are going to want this job. So know that, that this is a start, that you have this advantage. And the only real way you could fuck it up is by presenting yourself as somebody that's not willing to play the game for a little while. And then in six months, you know, maybe you do run into the GM. You ask him, hey, one day I'd love to be a GM. He's heard it a million times. She's heard it a million times. It doesn't matter, right? And you're like, okay, fine. Now you're on the radar. You know, maybe you give it another six months. Maybe just after that six months, the guy's like, all right, come hang out. I'll, I'll show you kind of what we're doing. Don't share that specific stuff in that first sit down is the point that I took way too long to make because I talk forever now. Yeah, it seems like most people that are successful uh, in, in 
sports, but at most stuff, it's like they've got a story of like, yeah, I was doing this, and then I was doing that, and I was assistant to this guy, and like there was usually like five or seven or ten stops before they get to GM or head coach or whatever. So I think as long as you recognize, you just you just want to have a job that you're okay doing in in a place that you want to be, and then that's when you start formulating a plan, right? The plan isn't like here's what I want to do when I get here because this is my dream. It's like. Just, just be. I try to hopefully, you know, make a good enough impression that they'll just l- bring you in because they're going to look at it like they're doing you a favor, probably. Even if you have, right? Even if you have like a, you know, you went to a school, you have a three point eight, and blah blah blah. Like there's somebody that's got a four so they're they're or a four point two or whatever. I don't even know how you get those those crazy above four grades, but there's somebody that's d- that that has it and that wants to do that job. So and they're just going to look at you like they're doing you a favor if they like you, and if not, they'll be like, sorry, I can't do you a favor. So I think that's really what you're. And then you got to, you know, hit the ground running. But, you know, what you're basically doing is is asking for a favor <laughs> to be like, can I be anywhere in here? And then I'll prove it. So, yeah, I mean, I don't have really, much to say other than that. This really isn't a job interview, right? I mean, you're just you, you you're talking to the owner. You have a connection. That's great. Happens all the time. It's super pumped for you. Like it's 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 an awesome situation to be in. But yeah, Ryan, you shouldn't, as you said, you shouldn't be in a position where you're like, hey, I want to do this. I want to do that. I think you're just like, I think what you could talk about maybe is like, some of the responsibilities of that job. Like I'm really into like player player development and analytics and talk about stuff that the job is, but don't come out and say that this is the job that I want. And that way you're like, all right, like this guy's a good head on his shoulders. Like he, you know, I think he could fit him in the organization and also just be like, I'm open to, to just get my foot in the door and, and working my way up. I mean, obviously make that very clear. Like don't make it seem like you want anything handed to you. Like if you're like, hey, I'm smart. Uh, I'm really into this stuff, but I'm also like a hard worker and I'm, you know, kind of a ground up guy. Like I'm willing to put in whatever you guys need, I'll make it happen. And because again, there's really no job for you, right? He's not there. You're not interviewing right. for a specific it position. It could turn into like, an interview if he likes you because yeah. the guy is runs the show, but it's not that, right? So you want to be one, likable and two, somebody who seems very motivated and can be valuable in the future. So I think, you know, talk about a lot of the things that maybe some people whose job you want that you can do or that you think you could eventually do well or at least provide value to, but don't come out and say, hey, I want to do this or I want to do that. Because again, that's the, there, there's not a job for you and this guy's just doing you a favor. Um, so Rudy just said something though that, you know, because I've been kind of talking about this as if it were the interview and, you know, look, you can, you can sit down and say to the owner if it's this informal thing, but you're trying to get a job with this guy's team. So whether it's in the formal setting and you're walking in with your resume that doesn't have anything on it other than your grades, um, you know, you get your suit, you're all excited and you're waiting out lobby and you're just, you know, going this first day of the rest of my life <laughs> and you walk in and, and you don't want to fuck it up. But if this is a more casual thing and he's saying like, hey, what do you want to do? Then that you probably share like, hey, one day I'd love to be a GM, but I know that that's going to take years and years. I want to get started and that's what I want to do. That's why I was anti the specifics of even whether it's informal or formal, you don't want to start having him be like, wait, is this guy going to be a pain in the ass? Where it's like, hey, could I shadow the GM? Well, of course, if you work your way in at some point, you'll know the answer to that. But get inside before you ask that question. You know, when you say, quote, do I ask what it takes to become a GM or how to get in touch with people who could get me that goal? Don't no. fucking ask that. Don't ask that. I mean, again, Wick Grosbeck, I was in my 20s. He invited me over to his house. I had a beer. He was like, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, I want to be the GM of an NBA team. And he was like, good luck. <laughs> And he was right. He wasn't going to help me with that. I picked the one thing he couldn't do. And it was stupid. It was fucking stupid by me. You know, I had this guy who's incredibly successful, well-liked, 
just taking time out of his day. And honestly, I look back on like things worked out, but I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to handle it. I, I, I like froze. I should have just like been casual about it. I'm like, oh, maybe I'd like to do this. I'd like to do this. Like keep doors open, keep the options open. Instead, I just looked him straight in the eye. I was like, <laughs> I want to be a GM of a basketball team. The and top job. Like, yeah, it was like, fucking, okay, dude. <laughs> but like, you know, what 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 you kind of said is like, yeah, it's not a job interview, but we're rewatching Succession. And it's sort of like when, you know, Greg's in the elevator with Logan. Like he, like, he knows, he knows. Strong, what, strong what, for a man. He, he knows what Greg <laughs> wants. <laughs> He knows what Greg wants from him. He's not like, oh, the kid just wants some advice on how to get back into the parks management program or whatever. Like, he knows what he wants, even if he's not coming out and saying it. So I think it's safe to assume that this this owner of an MLB team meeting with some random guy that his, I don't know what what the connection is, his uncle or his dad or his fucking friend or something like, he knows this isn't like, just, oh, just going to give this kid some some advice and send him on his way. Like, he probably knows there's some sort of favor thing that that could come out of this. So, I mean, it, it, it's like it's not a job interview, but it's not the fucking craziest thing in the world for you to, you know, have a job at this place in a, a couple of months, in a, like a month or something. If they're like, yeah, we'll be in touch or something. So uh, you're right. It's not a job interview. But I think this this owner of a team isn't just sitting down to be like, oh, I'm sure he just wants to pick my brain on how to do the lowliest job he can get into sports industry or something like I'm sure. I'm sure that there's some sort of in the back of this guy's mind he knows. I think what you have to do is because I, I feel maybe I was a little too dismissive of like, you know, because clearly I understand almost any job interview, if it's a good one, if the person interviewing you is smart, it'll be like, well, where do you want to be in, you know, however many years or whatever, that kind of stuff. Or it's a terrible uh, pickup line. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I, it's totally expected and fair for you to go, this is what I would like to do. I need to get in. I'm trying to find a way in. Don't assume that he's going to, you know, invite you in here either. Right. Uh, now I feel like we've just thrown a bunch of stuff at this emailer here. The whole point, it may be the lost in the confusion of it all. Um, but, you know, don't think of the things that you would think would be annoying and don't ask them. <laughs> Great. Just, Although it doesn't seem like he had those thoughts yet. <laughs> it seems like yeah. he was going to ask like, wow, who can you put me in touch with? Yeah. <laughs> like, ah, I wouldn't do that. Uh, make it his idea to want to bring, help you out. That's all I'm saying. Make it do a, find a way to mental gymnastics this guy's head into making it his idea to help you out. Just figure that out. Who's picking your goalies? Mm. Jesus <laughs> Christ! <laughs> huh? You guys even formations? Yeah. You guys ever try <laughs> to be a good of a goal? Set piece? <laughs> all right. Good luck, man. Let us know how it goes. <laughs> Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Steve. Ryan Russell Podcast. Ringer Spotify. 